Welcome to the Almost 30 Podcast. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Krista. And we're your hosts, guides, and friends on this path. Almost 30 is not about your age. It's about the feeling. All of us are almost something, seeking community and resources to support the rumblings of transformation within us. Our conversations are deep dives, shepherded by our insatiable curiosity and desire for connection, enduring inspiration, and a sense of levity that we can all benefit from. We're looking to find the magic in the human experience. Buckle up, baby. Your evolution is waiting. Hello and welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. Hello, everybody. It's Lindsay Simsick and this is Krista Williams, my other half in business and in friendship. And we're so happy you're here. This is a place we hope that you'll learn a lot, feel like you can be yourself, grow, laugh a whole lot. And yeah, we know there's a lot of pods out there. So thanks for choosing us. Yeah, it means a lot. We have loved growing with you, evolving with you. We've loved being a part of your process and your every single day. And to listen to Almost 30 is so meaningful to Lindsay and I. And we've grown this community over the years from you, from you spreading the word, sharing episodes with friends, sharing your learnings with friends, writing about it on social media, sharing on social media. So really appreciate you being a part of the Almost 30 community. We hope to bring you some heat, some insights, some laughs every single week. And today will be a really, really good one with Dr. Nicole LaPera, the holistic psychologist on Instagram, who's been on the podcast. This is her third time now. And this time we're talking about love. We're talking about relationships and we're talking about her book, How to Be the Love You Seek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is her last in her how-to trilogy. So we've had her on the podcast before to talk about how to do the work and how to meet yourself. But I was thinking the other day, maybe it was post-therapy, I don't really know, but I was just having a moment of like serious pride where I was like, damn, I have come so far in so many of my relational systems and how they've gone from mega reactivity and dysfunction to just being in such a more peaceful might be the wrong word, but I think I feel peaceful even during times when things get shaken up in my relationships. And yeah, I just have moments on the regular where I'm like, wow, five years ago, I would have reacted totally differently. Even two years ago, I would have had a completely different experience. And I was kind of laughing to myself because I'm like, in a way, how I am now, it almost feels a little more boring, but not, you know what I mean? Because it's like, there isn't as much drama. There isn't as much, yeah, just kind of like, chaotic energy in my relationships. Mm -hmm. And so it's like an interesting thing to get used to. I can imagine for other people as well, where you're like, okay, so how do we shake things up? And usually the answer is to kind of like subconsciously create a lot of drama, but I'm just not there anymore. Yeah. I think what I've realized recently is because I've had a series of hard conversations within my family, you know, there's a lot of different things going on. And I was like, wow, this is I feel most proud when I can navigate and be myself and be compassionate and loving in hard times and in hard conversations. And like, we've done a lot of amazing things with our careers and our lives, things that I could have never imagined accomplishing. But it's like, that's when I feel the most proud, you know, when I'm leading with love. And there was a situation where we had a hard conversation at a restaurant with my family. And there was like people there that were just getting dysregulated, you know, because that's like the pattern in the family. It's like, to get super hype and dysregulated and 
just kind of be super activated in the nervous system. And I was just like, so calm, so loving. But what I loved about how I showed up the most, and I haven't showed up this way for most of my life, you know, for a lot of my life, I would use self erasure with my family, I would just check out, I wouldn't be able to be myself, I couldn't be loving, I just felt like I would shut down. But to be like, no, like, I love you, like, I love you so much, like, how can we make this better for you? And just always lead with love and be very vocal about my love and be very vocal about how I feel and finding the good aspects of my relationships and like, you know, calling it out when people are doing a good job at things. And just like in this like shamanic like way, supporting my family and really hard times. And that kind of thing is just, it's like intangible, but it's the thing of miracles. Healing happens in those moments. And I feel so proud of the work that you've done, of the work that I've done. And a lot of it is a lot of, you know, what Dr. Nicola Perra talks about. It's like, being able to regulate, being able to speak your needs, being able to come with compassion and kindness when it's hard. And something else I've been thinking about recently was about emotional dysregulation. And I was in a situation with two other people where I noticed actually that these people usually get very dysregulated together. The one person got really dysregulated, the other person got dysregulated, and I could feel how safe they felt with one another because they were both dysregulated in their nervous systems and because they were super activated. And I could feel myself also feeling like an outsider a little bit and feeling like I didn't feel as safe to them because I was regulated. And just realizing that for so many people when they're in their healing journey and process, you may feel alone because when you take care of yourself and when you are regulated in your nervous system and when you are coming at things with an open heart and an open mind, you will be the one that's probably doing things differently and that can feel lonely and you might not feel safe for people that are continuously dysregulated or in drama or all of these things and you have to really reckon with that too because there's a part of us that wants to feel safe for everyone and wants everyone to feel comfortable around us and wants to be the person that everyone goes to but that might not always happen. Yeah, that's such a good point around just that loneliness and just kind of feeling a bit isolated when those around you are incredibly activated. And I've noticed that too, just in some of my like longest friendships where, you know, they might be used to me playing some sort of role or part in their drama, where either I'm the one that like says, oh yeah, that's so hard. And Let's kind of be down here and be in it and talk about that. And especially since becoming pregnant, like my boundaries around that are like, I didn't even mean to do it, but like, it's almost like a non-negotiable where I'm like very protective of my energy, but also it's just helped me to up level to what you're speaking to, which is, yeah, I'm actually going to prioritize regulating my own nervous system. And not allowing what you're going through to make my nervous system mirror yours. And in moments, I felt like they don't want to have anything to do with me because it's not really validating their experience in a way that they desire. So yeah, yeah, I think it's an act of self-love for sure. A hundred percent. It's a practice. And I even had, you know, someone that I was with almost felt like I was being judgmental because I was just super not placating at all to the story or the narrative. And, you know, not that I'm not saying that there's not aspects of me that can be judgmental. You know, I have a lot of planets in Capricorn. It's like a shadow aspect of the self. But it's like when you are not playing into someone's narratives or when you are not appeasing lower aspects of people, they can also feel like you're othering them. They can also feel like you're being judgmental. So it's just life is a minefield. It's really this like 
process of learning and growing and evolution. And I'm excited today to have Dr. Nicola Pera on to talk about relationships, because I think this is something that is so huge where people quite often can talk about how to be the love you seek. But it's like, it's one of those things. And I think about this a lot when I talk about the true essence, true essence is the retreats that I do in Ibiza, or I'm doing one in Portugal next year. And it's really having people feel into their true essence, which is like their soul frequency. And it's hard to explain because it's a felt sense. And it's like a taste that you have, you know, when you're being your true self. But for someone to be like, be the love you seek. I understand that from a contextual level. But I haven't, I've understood it a lot, but I still don't have the full, the full frequency of what that is. And I think for so many people can be really challenging to be like, you know, be the love you seek, be the amazing depth and fullness and richness of everything you want all the time. So it's really great that she's explaining this in our conversation today and in this book. And in this conversation and in the book, she talks about creating safety in your own body and mind. So you're able to regulate in these different scenarios and just in relationships in general, how to identify your unmet needs. So those needs that perhaps you were lacking or didn't get in childhood or young adulthood, how to develop emotional resilience, how to cultivate heart coherence to build just really deep emotional connections with others, and how to maintain healthy interdependence in our communities. So we're going to talk about that relationship with self for sure, relationship with others, especially those that we're close to, but then also widen the net to our communities and the collective. Yeah, this is such a good one. I highly suggest you send this one to a friend to start the conversation about relationships, to start the conversation about how to have greater self-love and self-awareness. There's never enough conversations about things like this and support. So sending to a friend is such a kind and loving thing to do. And you can get the book now on Amazon or anywhere you guys get books. And the book is How to Be the Love You Seek by Dr. Nicola Pera. You can find her at The Holistic Psychologist on Instagram. And you can find our previous episodes with Dr. Nicole by searching Dr. Nicole Almost 30. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you're subscribed. We have new episodes every single week. And if you are loving Almost 30 and want to get your daily dose, we have our new podcast, newer podcast, Morning Microdose. This comes out five days a week. So these are clips from our archive that are 10 minutes or shorter, just so you can start your day on the right foot and really feel inspired, reflective. We choose the best of the best. So enjoy this one. We will see you on the other side. We'll see you soon. I am juggling quite a bit lately. I have a new baby, um, six months in, and uh, we are finishing our book and running a business and a marriage and a house. And um, it's just a lot, but everything is all good and just my dream, but it's a lot. But I have found that if my health routine is on point, then everything runs smoothly. And one huge piece of that routine is my supplementation. And Symbiotica has just always been a constant in my routine. Uh, If you haven't heard of Symbiotica, they're a health and wellness company that does everything with intention. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like I know them. (laughs) Shervine has been on the podcast many times. I just have seen how 
passionate, how incredibly intelligent, how dedicated he is to creating products um, that are clean, plant-based, without toxic or harmful chemicals, which we need more of that in the world. Um, So let me just run you through what I'm taking. Um, I take the vitamin D3 K2. It's the liposomal form. I just squirt 12 little pumps in my mouth every single morning. I also take their B12. Um, I'm also obsessed with the liposomal vitamin C. I have these little packets, whether it's winter or whatever season, it's obviously great for immunity, but it also um, is amazing because it has biotin, one of nature's most beautifying ingredients. Uh, So I've seen an improvement in my skin, hair, and nail growth as well. I do have mom brain, um, but I'm doing my best to just support my brain health in any way. So for brain health, focus and memory, I really love taking their liposomal magnesium L3 and 8. Um, it's an innovative form of magnesium that is able to cross the blood brain barrier. It supports brain health, mood, immune system function, and overall well-being. It's incredible and tastes amazing. It's like this yummy vanilla cream flavor. That's the thing with uh, Symbiotica products. They taste unbelievable. So it really makes taking all of these supplements so easy, so yummy. And I actually look forward to it. So if you want to give Symbiotica a try, there is no better time right now is the time. Symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A. Use our code almost 30, 20% off site-wide. So major. And then when you bundle and subscribe, which I highly recommend because you never want to run out of anything, uh, you're going to get an extra discount. So just do it up. Symbiotica.com and use the code almost 30 for 20% off site-wide. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Oh, therapy, y'all. I don't know. I just, I don't know what I did before therapy, to be completely honest with you. I think I was kind of a mess, but you know, found it when I was meant to, but I've been going to therapy for about six years now, which is so crazy. So crazy, but it has changed my life and I will continue to invest in therapy for as long as I can. I feel like it has totally, totally made my relationships better made my career better. I am a better mom. I am a better wife. I'm a better friend. I'm a better daughter and sister. Y'all, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do, this is it. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you get matched and you're like, yeah, not quite a fit, they make it easy and it's free to change. But I've had a lot of friends try BetterHelp and love it. So I really, really encourage you to start therapy. It's been the best decision I've ever made for myself. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash almost 30 today to get 10% off your first month. That's better, H-E-L-P.com slash almost 30. I'm so grateful to have you. And let me just reflect back to you that when I was reading your book this weekend, it was so invigorating and I loved your first book. I felt like it was so relevant and pertinent. We talked about it on the show. But to read this one just felt like the first book was Dr. LaPera and this book was Nicole. And it felt like you had so much joy and openness and excitement about writing about it. It was like such a pleasure to read because I feel like you're always so open, but I got so much more access to aspects of you and your relationship and your life and your love. And it was just incredible. So how did it feel for you writing it? I really appreciate you saying that so much, Krista, and hearing even that 
it lands as invigorating is really refreshing for me to hear because I'm always in the back of my thinking and think is much of my work. Of course, I'm writing a book about relationships and exploring those dynamics. So you're really met head on mm -hmm. with the first chapter, kind of that mirror reflecting right back to you, your own relationship with yourself. And of course, the role that you're playing in all of your relationships, which as you read in the book was something that was quite difficult for me to understand and to really more than understand, to embody conceptually. I make playlists that go along with my books. And the first song actually on this playlist, probably not surprised to hear, is Taylor Swift. I'm the, I don't know what the official title is of the song, but I'm the problem. It's me. So really just That's highlighting hilarious. that. So hearing that it feels invigorating is really, like I said, hopeful for me because my goal always is to empower us while we are looking at oftentimes a, a difficult image in that mirror. I think it's the step to create mm -hmm. change. So in terms of writing it, I mean, it was a deep dive into mm -hmm. exploring not only my romantic partnerships, which is a lot of the focus of the book, but mainly grounded in my relationships with my family and having lost my mom now a little over two years ago, mm. really exploring a lot of dynamics that, of course, I had done personally and continue to do on my own healing journey, but doing so in a way where I knowing it would become so public yeah. was a really kind of vulnerable, intimate mm -hmm experience. Of course, there's parts of my journey and how to do the work. But I think when we're really talking yeah. about these core relationships, there's in inherently a vulnerability there. And as you read, one of my biggest conflicts is being emotionally vulnerable in front of even those closest to me, let alone mm -hmm. all of the different people that will read the book and interpret the book through their lens and then react to the book. So there's a lot of fear mm -hmm. in how will this land? How will it be? How will my remaining family, my dad and sister in particular, how will it be for them to read now so much of our shared past together? And of course, then what will the general collective mm -hmm. think about these aspects of my journey that they might not have heard of before? I mean, I was just blown away at the beginning. And just for context for people listening, you know, who I'm sure will get the book. When you talked in the beginning about how a lot of the literature and a lot of the information about relationships has been outside in, and you even brought up the love languages, how understanding love languages is essentially like telling someone how to love you and it is other focused, and how a lot of the ways in which we've been educated and talked about relationships is really like, how can I communicate to the other? What can the other do for me? How can I make, it's just very much focused on controlling, manipulating, changing, adjusting, shifting everyone else, and not as much about us and what we can do. And that's why I love your work so much, because you always bring it back to the self. You always bring it back to the empowerment of what we can do in relationships. So can you talk a little bit more about that, like how this is so different than other perspectives on dating and relationships because it is more self-focused? This this perspective, the shift in perspective really is a shift for me. I was trained and did a lot of work as a couples therapist. So I was the you know individual sitting in the room facilitating those conversations of, okay, what does love feel like for me? How do I need you to communicate in a way that works for me? Like you're sharing this kind of outside in. And while I don't want to, I think a lot of us have gained a lot of benefit in having those conversations. I think kind of at, at its core, conceptually, what that does for many of us, and this might sound, I'm not trying to infantilize totally. us, but it creates the space for a different individual. 
right? Because so many of us lead from our experience, what works for us. And we even then paint that assumption. Well, like, oh, if this is how you receive love through gestures, through words, whatever it is, then, or if this is how I receive love, I should say this must be how everyone does. And that's not the case. And I think trying to interact with different unique individuals who think differently, have different perspectives, feel differently, have different needs that can be met and supported in different ways, that's groundbreaking. So it's not to say that there's not a place for those conversations, but having been the couples therapist in the room, having tried that model myself, I just need you to or not to so that I can feel. I do think it really does bring up, you heard you use words like manipulation and control and really at its core, the message we're given, if we're being told to change ourselves in whatever way it is or suppress whatever aspect of our natural way of being, it can, for many of us, reactivate that wounding that we experience in childhood where we didn't have that safety and that security. We didn't have that curious parent who maybe for very well-intentioned reasons, right, just thought we were little them. We look like them. We might have been like them in some ways. So we lacked, again, that space. So really, again, understanding and beginning to focus on, well, how am I showing up? And just going back to the love language really quickly, because this was actually a point of conflict very early on in my relationship with Lolly, who coming from my childhood where my emotionally unattuned mom of no fault of her own did not have attunement in her own childhood, was left to navigate her emotions. They felt too overwhelming for her to deal with. So she disconnected or dissociated, much like I did. I talk about my spaceship in my first book. So was unable to be emotionally present. However, the way she was able to care or love the family, myself included, and really all of us, was through acts of service, through putting dinner on the table at a consistent time every night, through cleaning the house, through doing my laundry, right? These are all of the ways that I registered love. And that's how, over time, and what I would then look for in my partnership. So now flash forward in time, I meet Lolly. Lolly in her childhood didn't have that sort of language of love or connection displayed and actually had quite the opposite, would be on the receiving end of explosive reactivity from her mom in particular, right? Because her, she struggled to, to do kind of household things, to keep her room in a certain way. Dinner was not something that the family did together. They actually all were responsible for feeding themselves at different times. So flash forward in time, I would come home for work with all of these expectations, right? That the only way that I was feeling loved and considered and cared for was when these things were happening around me all from my childhood. And in reality, those things were very difficult. So they would cause explosive conflict. I would become agitated or passive aggressive or distance myself because now I'm hurt that she's not loving me in this way. When in reality, there's and continues to be so many different ways that Lolly shows up in love and care and support and creates space and allows me to be who I am and actually kind of fosters that in me that I would define is true love, for lack of a cliched way to I say that. I love that you wanted her to be like a domestic housewife. But I bit. was looking <laughs> I for that. You're like, I'm coming home. That's what I was used my wife to. doing. Exactly. <laughs> Where's the food and what were you yes, doing all yes, day? You know, yes. why aren't the dishes done? <laughs> yes. And again, I think that a lot of wow. us, and I saw this play out in my clinical office where there would be this expectation yep. oftentimes built around these childhood unmet needs yep. where we learn to define love as these certain gestures and we really miss, and this really brings up, I think, the bigger topic of the learning, 
yeah. right, that we do in childhood, the way we learn to connect and relate mm-hmm. and the way many of us continue to seek that connection through the expectations in our mind and through the reactivity, mm-hmm. right? Feeling threatened when that's not happening mm-hmm. is all grounded for many of us, in my belief, at least, yeah. in unmet needs and all of these modifications and adaptive ways that we've learned to kind of take the crumbs of connection that were available. So what my work in this book and all my work really in that self-focus is beginning to unpack that so we can expand into what I think is a safer and secure, more version of love, which can be embodied in any moment, not just in these moments where you're putting the dinner on the table, God damn it, at this certain time. Where's my wife? (laughs) We can be love, you know, in all moments. And that goes both ways. Because again, I think that a lot of us at our core, if we didn't receive that in childhood, we feel like I was sharing earlier, vulnerable, unsafe receiving love so we're at odds in a lot of ways within ourselves. the deepest need we all have in my opinion is to be safe to be valued and to be loved totally yet if we're not familiar with that some of us might just reject mm. it because it doesn't yet feel safe mm. i was with a friend yesterday on a hike and she was so emotional and almost like physically ill feeling uncomfortable because she's in a new relationship that feels loving and it doesn't feel familiar to her and it feels out of control and it feels scary to have that situation. So yeah, I've, I've seen it. I know it. And I'm so grateful that we have the consciousness now to be like, oh my God, what is this? What is this newness of being able to receive love? But on the point of, you know, kind of wanting to control others or wanting to make sure that others do certain things in order to, for you to feel safe. I remember at the end of my relationship before my divorce, when we went on a trial separation and I remember going into the trial separation, like, okay, if he does these things, then it's going to be fine. Like if he goes to therapy, if he gets a coach and just kind of thinking about all the things that he needed to do or all the things he needed to say or all these things that I was like holding as like, this is the standard for what it means to like love me in this relationship. And none of them were actually like love. It was like, the things that would make me feel safe or the things that would make me feel like he was showing up in the way that I was showing up. And I'll never forget, you know, having a moment of like a month into it and just being like, and it wasn't going the way I I thought it would, you know, he wasn't really doing all the things that I had on the list, you know, the checklist of like, you're going to therapy, you're going to coach, you're going to do all these things. And I was like, wow, I'm actually wanting him to be out of his authenticity by doing those. Like it's actually not in his authenticity to do and prioritize growth in the same way that I am. And so my desire for him to be doing that is actually just perpetuating the same pattern we were in, which is us both out of our authenticity in our relationship together. And it was just so crazy because I was like, wow, before I would have been like, you're not doing this means you don't love me. You're not doing this means that. And just how fascinating it was to learn that to be loving in relationship is not just doing everything that the other person wants you to do, but it's like, how can you both meet each other in a space where you're honoring of each other's needs, but you're not out of your truth and your authenticity? So how how do you find that balance? And in a relationship where you want to be honoring of your partner's needs, you want to really honor their requests for more validation or love or touch or whatever the thing is, or you know, safety, but you also don't want to be someone who's like just completely doing whatever they want or adjusting to them. You don't want to be losing who you are. What's that balance and how can people find it where they can honor someone but be themselves? 
Yeah, I want to go back to to just unpack this idea of safety. Yeah. Because what many of us are defining as safety is just familiarity, like I was sharing. It's just what I've known, right? True safety, to go into your very beautiful point here, Krista, is that space, right, to be who we are, to express, like I was sharing earlier, what our thoughts and perspectives are, which sometimes means to have hard, difficult conversations, to actually expand and allow I think the blinders that we all live, you know, with around us in so many ways to hear from a trusted loved one, maybe one that we're trying to build a relationship with, what their experience, right, of us is and including then what their needs are, what their emotions are without, as I think many of us do, not only kind of overpowering it and demanding it to look one way or demanding not to hear the hard truths, which are absolutely a part of this loving exchange, right, but though to be able to meet our needs or have support so that our needs can continue to be met in absence of that person being ever available. Because I think some of us, we put all of our needs in this one basket of a relationship. And much like I did for a very long time, coming from a very codependent house where I was taught right that we are responsible for other people's emotions through the looks my mom gave when she was disappointed or angry. Right. My childhood developing mind was like, oh, I'm responsible for causing her upset. And of course, one of the ways my mom learned because her nervous system was unable to tolerate her own feelings was to distance herself or to silent treatment, not to speak to me. Right. So now in childhood, when I need this person to literally care for me, before long, I began to modify and to take responsibility for her reaction, which was actually nothing to do with me at all. It was her own inability to tolerate her own emotions that she didn't learn how to do in childhood. But what I learned is I'm responsible and how I show up greatly impacts. And I believe at least that we're all heart-based creatures. This is how we've learned to connect and to thrive in groups over time. And we need this connection. We want to be in an exchange and in a relationship with other people. So to do that, right, not only do we have to be connected to our heart, we have to make sure that our needs are, are being met and we can take a responsibility for that, right? And so many of us though, because it hurts when someone we love isn't seeing us or isn't showing up in a way, we will modify again ourselves in childhood. So going back to this idea of how do we have that natural negotiation, we define ourselves as part of the, the puzzle, part of the dynamic itself. And if we are someone like I, I held all of my partners responsible for all of my unmet needs, right? If you weren't showing up to be with me, to give me presence, to support me, to make sure that I don't feel bad in any kind of way because I, like my mom, wasn't equipped to deal with any of those feelings on my own. It's not to say not to gain support in moments where we need it, but when we defer, right? I'm upset because you're not doing or saying or supporting me. When we put all of those expectations, I think we can do our, our relationships a disservice. So Becoming aware of what our needs are, creating support within ourselves, obviously asking for help if you are much like myself, and even asking for support feels vulnerable, allowing support. And then, of course, there is a negotiation. There are conversations and communications and boundaries and all of that can be very consciously engaged with within two partners. So, of course, there's no formula. I think it's a little bit different depending on who we are, though it is also honoring that not everyone is going to be present and available to support you, even if they are the person you're committing your life to in any given moment, because they have 
an emotional system and a nervous system and only a certain amount of resources. And if you're constantly asking someone to overstep their needs to show up in service of you, and if they do keep doing that, like in that codependent example I was given, only a matter of time before resentment builds and then that can turns into contempt. And then before long, you, the person asking for all of those demands makes that or kind of is is the problem and causes the end of the relationship. So it's a self-awareness. Mm-hmm. It's conscious communication. I call it empowerment consciousness in the book of becoming aware of what my needs are and of having these active conversations and of finding support in other relationships and within ourselves for those moments where inevitably, and now here I will speak having two partners, I, it doesn't mean that they're ever available for me in the minute I need them to be, right? They might have something going on emotionally for them in the business that we share together for them and actually might not be available or have the resources to emotionally support me. It doesn't mean that they don't love me. It just means that that might have to wait or there's a natural exchange where maybe I'm the one showing up in support in that moment as opposed to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, recognition of the other and kind of the other's whole universe because I've had that Mm -hmm. situation before where when I was more unconscious, I would approach the person as like, yeah, it was like, this person will satisfy the need that I have, my hungry ghost. And I wouldn't even think about their entire scenario or situation. And it's interesting because I've, and you would know this more being in a relationship with two women. It's like, I do feel like that's a pattern I see in heterosexual relationships between women and men, where the men are kind of always expected to be available for the woman's experience and needs to like, I guess, and with a disrespect for the men's internal world, because we assume as women that men have a less dynamic or interesting internal landscape, I think, than the women. I think a lot of that speaks to messaging in society. Yeah. Global messaging. I think conditioned messaging that even men are perpetuating, right? If they were taught in childhood that there's no space or that it's too vulnerable or, you know, men don't do or show whatever it is. I do think this has created that unconscious expectation. I can even add a bit of science into it. Love it. When we're having an emotion, right? If we're, if our nervous system is activated, whatever that motion is, if we're feeling overwhelmed by that emotion and we are needing right the support we actually lose access to the perspective of having another person we're quite literally kind of dropped back into that reptilian brain or that survival mode where and again i'm talking solely about physiology here right because emotionally and conceptually no this person i love and care about though in terms of our emotional or our nervous system's physiology we've deleted that person. And the only things outside of us are the possible threats around us. And not only does blood flow move away from the prefrontal cortex, which is our perspective taking, right, that ability to zoom out and say, no, wait a minute, you care about this person and you want to drop into your heart and be compassionate in this moment and, you know, attune to the fact that they have stuff going on, you actually become a survival driven being where you are the sole focus of your universe in that moment, which explains why, and I'll speak from my own perspective and lived experience, why we become so mean and so hurtful and can disconnect from even, I mean, there's still moments where in the moments where I need someone the most, I can become terribly mean reactively, explosively, or I can do exactly what my mom did, distance myself. Oh, well, you'll miss me when I'm gone. Something I heard a lot growing up and go lock myself and emotionally remove myself from the person that I actually don't want to be doing that from. And it's not because I'm a mean, terrible, bad person. It's because in that survival mode that's activated in that moment, right? And if I'm having an overwhelming emotion and I can't self-regulate, 
and I can't come back into that calm grounded state and access, right, this insight, this awareness, my heart space, then what I am going to do is lose focus that you're a different human with different needs that could be active in this moment as well. So I just want to share that to normalize, I think, yeah. some of these really shameful moments mm -hmm. that I know I still live. Having all of this information and mm -hmm. having done all of the work, there's still moments where if I'm not taking care of my body, my nervous system, making sure that I have moments of rest and, and restoring and myself, I can easily go down those, you know, kind of deleting other pathways. Okay, I need to introduce you to a revolutionary new app, um, Superhuman. I have been doing these superhuman activations every single morning for the last three weeks. Let me just tell you, I kind of fell off of my game after I had the baby. Most of my time and energy was going to him still is, but I have been able to carve out time in the morning before I get into the swing with him. And I've been doing these activations. I do a lot of the shorter ones because I don't have a ton of time, but let me just say, this is new. Like this is a new type of audio that, um, are super energizing and really specifically designed to transform you into your future self. So I know a lot of us want to manifest things. I know a lot of us are thinking about planning for the future. Um, but a lot of us feel stuck. And so I've just felt like this has unstuck me in just the most beautiful way. So I've been doing a lot of their pep talks. I've been doing some of their writing activations. Uh, this morning I did the three morning questions. It was a seven minute, really vibey writing activation that I love. So I had my journal out. Um, yesterday I did a pep talk, uh, about tackling procrastination. There's a part of me that procrastinates quite a bit. So I'm just I love this. I love this. There's going to be an activation for you for this moment, for this day. Uh, it's incredibly supportive. So we actually interviewed Mimi Bouchard, the founder, not too long ago. Check out that interview. Uh, and we have a sample of one of the activations on our feed. So you can check that out as well. It's way easier to implement into your routine and far more effective than any other audio app out there. I've just noticed that I'm doing it much more consistently. So please don't miss out on this crazy deal. They rarely do discounts. On top of the 14-day free trial, get over 60% off your subscription for a limited time only at activation.com slash almost 30. Literally, there is no risk. If you change your mind and forget to cancel after the trial, you're covered by their money back guarantee. The offer is only available through their website, not on the app store. So that's activations.com slash almost 30 for 60% off. It expires soon. In talking about the safety, the point of most people see safety as what's familiar for them, which sometimes isn't actual safety. It's actually just like what they consider normal. And I think about this, I guess if we zoom out, a lot of people say that they're looking for love. But in that, would you say people are more so looking for familiarity rather than love? Absolutely. And I think we look for that in ourselves first and foremost. And I talk about a concept that I call the conditioned selves in this book, which are kind of neurobiological patterns, right? All of these beliefs that live in my mind about who I am in a relationship, whether I'm the caretaker, whether I'm the hero worshiper, whether I'm the overachiever, the underachiever. I learned, again, this way of being typically in my childhood, where playing a particular role for me, it was really focused on achievement. 
being someone who doesn't have needs, who's always succeeding, who's the easy third child already in a stressed family unit. I learned to push any vulnerability or emotional need I have, again, because my mom wasn't attuned under the surface and only show this very achievement driven, whether it was sports or academics or athletics side of me. Because again, that's the only thing that there was space for in my childhood. So we become familiar with our own roles and we continue to embody those in our relationships. And then typically we look for a very familiar dynamic in other people defined again by those points of connection or those points of kind of the somewhat safety that we can create, minimizing the explosions or keeping the parent, in my case, as attuned as possible and not separate or giving the silent treatment and whatever it looked like in childhood, not only do we seek that in others, in my opinion, and the reason why I call it neurobiologically wired is, again, it's not just a theoretical thing, right? This is, again, a familiarity that lives in my body. And you even talked a bit about with your friend. And again, I don't know what was the case, but Mm -hmm. a lot of us, if we have high moments of stress and of chaos, we can easily define that as, and we look then for the partners in which we can co-create these cycles and we call it passion. And when that goes away and or if it doesn't exist and we have a calm, grounded, secure partner on the other side of us, oh, this person's boring, right? What is this? This isn't love. And before long, I'm looking to create that same. So it's, I think, both. It's us. We've become familiar with how we feel in certain states. And we've then become familiar with dynamics that are co-created. And before long, we continue to seek, and I call that the trauma bond cycle that I think we all find ourselves in. We seek that point of familiarity, that cycle, the way we know ourselves and others until, of course, we become conscious of all these patterns and begin to embody the new choices. Because it's not enough just to read the book. It's not enough just to have very well-meaning friends that are saying, hey, here's that same dynamic again, like run for the hills. We actually have to teach our body and our nervous system a quite literal new state or a new way of being so that over time, what we're calling boredom, right, can actually be redefined. And I used to find myself doing this. I used to proclaim how bored I was all of the time in absence of this stimulation only to realize that, oh, that's what peace and stillness and calmness and security feels like. So there's a lot of relearning, relabeling, and it's not just in our mind. It's actually in our body, too. Mm-hmm. I remember I was home a few years ago and at my house, it was a lot of mental illness, just inconsistency, a lot of stonewalling, you know, all these things. And I rem- I was home recently. It was like a few years ago and I was just sitting there and I'm like, I'm so comfortable right now. I was like, I feel great. <laughs> and then I was like, and also I have, I'm self-erasing. I'm not speaking at all. I'm like not sharing who I am. And I was just, it was such a funny thing because I'm like, this is my not my worst self, but this is like my least sparkly, most muted, most dull, most like non-existent erased self. And then I was literally sitting on the couch like, I'm so peaceful right now. <laughs> like it was like this weird, uh. yeah, I literally, I was like, I'm just going to sit at this dinner table, not say a word, not let anyone know what's anything going on with my life. Just completely like, it was just such a weird thing. And I was like, this is that where I'm like, oh, I'm so comfortable. This feels so familiar but yet it's not for my highest good. It's not for my like growth. It's not for like the most expanded version of myself. And then there's obviously versions of that in relationship that we can experience where it's like, this is incredibly comfortable. And that was an experience I had in my relationships, which was for me to self-abandon and make it all about the other person. Cause I'm an interviewer. I ask questions. I'm curious. I love people. I'm so it always be on them. And I would protect myself and not show intimacy or vulnerability by making it all about them. 
And so I would just do that in my relationships. And, you know, it's like a hard pattern to get out of. But when you talk about the the trauma bond cycle and the spark, when we're looking to relationships or dating, if someone's about to go dating, should they be looking for a spark or is that going to be a trauma bond? I mean, I think ultimately it depends. When yeah. we meet someone, there are chemicals that, you know, do get involved in the mix and there's an excitement and oxytocin and dopamine and all of that that happens at produces that very naturally will happen, whether it's a trauma bond or not, that will produce what one could call a spark. I think what is most important, and again, I touch on this in this concept of empowerment consciousness, is to be a conscious being in that relationship building process, right? Because so many of us sit across from someone and are, right, much like you, I'm very much relating, Chris, to this idea of it's about why do you think I became a therapist? Oh, yeah. What do you mean? wasn't about me at all. And I was so good at it. Right. I it was crush. never right at <laughs> anything I was thinking or feeling. Uh -huh. I would note it and then be like, oh, back to you, back mm -hmm. to you. And at those same family dinner tables, I was tending and performing yep. and making sure that my mom was cared for in the way that she needed to be cared for. And, Facilitating. Right? And, and yeah, there wasn't a lull in the conversation. Yes. And again, though, it wasn't anything deep that I was sharing. Mm -hmm. So. I continued that same sort of pattern of performing. And I think what is so important is to just be that awareness. Know, right? Kind of be that observer in those moments where if you are someone who is attracted or familiar, I should say, with sparks and explosions, we should call them more than a spark, right? And this chaos and this stress, right? Being the active participant. So not only being aware that, oh, wait, there's someone else here and I'm here as well. And it's not just about me making sure that they want a second date with me. It's also about me tuning into, well, how do I feel when I'm exchanging with this person? You know, are we sharing interest? Are we sharing values? Are we looking for life that goes in the similar direction or the similar path, right? Inserting me. And then again, being that same conscious being and determining, okay, well, how do you make me feel? Right. And again, becoming familiar enough with our own patterns that we can begin to differentiate what is the spark of a new, interesting, exciting possibility for a future together. Or what is what are those explosions? Right. Those moments where I'm just so familiar, right, with these high adrenaline moments or these roller coasters or even this unpredictability where I don't know how I stand with you. For some of us, right, that's attractive because that's what's familiar. We maybe didn't know how we stood with our core caregivers in our childhood. So when we have that awareness, when I kind of like to describe, when we turn those lights on, because there isn't, again, a formula where, oh, this is how you know if it's a spark. This is how you know if it's a trauma bond pattern. It's really about knowing ourselves enough and being that conscious participant in all of, outside of even our relationships, in my opinion, in each moment of our life. Because again, we're all looking for guidance, right? We want to know what is the path for me? What is the relationship for me? What should I do next? And a lot of us look outside, right, for these prescriptive ways, or even we become, you know, very grounded in maybe our habitual patterns, right? The things that work in terms of caring for my body today, though the reality of it is we don't actually know. The uncertainty begins in this now moment. We don't know what comes next. We're all in an aging body that's going to have different needs at different developmental times. Our emotions shift and change. I can make an argument every 90 seconds if we allow them to physiologically, if we don't continue to live them on in our mind. Of course, some people live in emotions from decades ago. And so to actually attune to that guidance, it really is a moment to moment decision where we're dropping in. We're noticing what we're thinking, how much of it is habitual. We're noticing what we're feeling in our body because emotions can guide us 
right? If we allow them to be those guiding moments, not emotions that we've lived on for decades to come. Yeah, I loved in the book how, I mean, I've known this, but it's just the reminder that emotions can last 90 seconds, which is so important for not only relationships, but things outside. And it's just such a, yeah, it's such a powerful thing for people that can be afraid of big emotions. I think I was someone that was Mm -hmm. afraid of feeling big emotions, of really experiencing and being in them. But there's one thing within relationships, and I'm curious your thoughts. And, you know, again, within this, a lot of it is like exploring nuance, because there isn't a black and white with a lot of it. You know, is it a spark? Is it a trauma Mm -hmm. bomb? Like, we don't even really know. But it was interesting in my relationship, because I was... In the last year, just really turning myself inside out, like, what am I responsible for? And I'm responsible for all of it. And I'm responsible for none of it, 50%, whatever. And it was interesting to kind of explore what about the relationship that we're co-creating is something that I should change about how I'm showing up? And what about it is like, just this relationship container. And I guess what is your experience in like for people that are listening that are in a tough situation potentially in their relationship and they're like, how do I know what is mine? Obviously, we want people to be empowered to take responsibility for them. And how do I know what isn't mine? Is there a way to be able to tell like, this is me, I'm bringing this energy to the relationship? Or this is them, they're bringing this and I should potentially leave or move on or something like that? Yeah, I think ultimately, again, being aware of our energy, our shifts, our changes, when we have those resources, when we don't, right, creating the safety and the space, communicate so that we can be in that that grounded presence. I keep highlighting that because, again, that's where I believe our connection to our heart, Mm -hmm. you know, lie. That's where our intuition lie. Mm -hmm. That's where we become that compassionate creature that we're all capable of being, where we can put our needs, kind of defer them, delay them get them met elsewhere, meet them for ourselves if we do want to choose to show up for someone else. Um, So being energetically connected is incredibly important, as is understanding where our boundaries are, right? So if I do continue to show up in a way that is required of this container, right, so that you can feel how will that be for me over time? How does it feel for me over time if I continue, especially if it's squashing our natural, like you were sharing earlier, right? our natural expression, who we naturally are. And again, that's where absolutely this kind of nuance and, you know, figuring our way through what is important in terms of values, I think, are an incredibly important conversation mm-hmm. because you can have two distinctly different, and I can argue, and I do around this concept of interdependence. There's incredible value in having relationships with different others, having people who have different strengths, right? Even back to Lolly and I, right? Her strengths are not in organizing and being the housewife to, that I come home to the structured dinner. She actually has incredible strengths and creativity that shine within our relationship and our business partnership being so different. So again, it's understanding though where and when and what our values are, because I think that's oftentimes something that's not a conversation point? Are we actually together, as I would tell my clients when I was doing couples work, sitting on the same (laughs) couch, right? And do what we view as our desire for the future as individuals, does that align? Because even different humans can begin to navigate life, I think, in a very harmonious and even in a more impactful and stronger way, being indifferent in certain areas if there's that shared vision of the future. And I keep harping on this because I think often we 
a don't know totally. what our values are and i talk a lot about values in in my workbook how to meet yourself and because i was someone who you could have used words like value passion purpose and that was not anything that my survival driven mind had any awareness of right because i was locked in the immediate moment and what i had to do to navigate these overwhelming feelings i couldn't deal with them and what i did was disconnect so i was not in that creative space of even imagining what i want for the future what's important for me in the future, right? What my passion and purpose and over time, of course, as I've learned to regulate my body, I now have an awareness of those things. But I see very often we we might even not want to have certain conversations because we're fearful of, right? If I want kids or if I want to live in a certain way or not want to live in a certain way, or if, you know, my professional life or my passions and purpose is important to me, I might not want to tell a potential partner that in fear of what their reaction might be or them not wanting to create this future with me. Even conversations around whether marriage and what marriage looks like. I post a lot now about new ideas that many of us are living into in terms of even the concept of marriage itself, whether it's for us, you know, with whom it'll be, how it'll look like. I hear from a lot of couples who successfully have what one might think are non-traditional marriages. We're sleeping in separate rooms. We live in separate houses. We only spend certain time together. And of course, this might not be for everyone out there Mm -hmm. listening. But again, I think we can make space Mm -hmm. for a lot more difference when we first understand, again, ourselves, what our needs are, what our perspectives are, what our desires Mm -hmm. and our vision Mm -hmm. for the future is. And then when we have these really honest conversations, so then we can begin to get a bit clearer on, like I was sharing, Will these adaptations impact me, right? Are you asking me to be in a way that is actually disconnecting me from my deep desires, my self-expression, what I want for the future? And again, if that answer is yes, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship is problematic or needs to end, it just might mean that there have to be some conversations and maybe some shifts in dynamic or even practicality So that both people and their core essence or all of those deeper things can be a part of the relationship. Yeah, I love that. And I'm I'm actually grateful you brought in the concept of marriage or the container of marriage and how that's changing. In Sex at Dawn, it talks a lot about, have you read Sex at Dawn? Mm -hmm. So good. Mm -hmm. I read it in like a week. And it's just, I love the thought and the idea around marriage and the container that we have it or the way that we understand it between a man and a woman as lasting forever is really that Christian ideology that like has really been the bedrock and foundation for how we view a lot of things. There's this really good book called Dominion, and it talks about the influence of Christianity on the West and our culture and how it really is just like this fusing of a lot of the concepts and beliefs that we have. The way that we see marriage is a lot around that. And it has felt like there is kind of a renaissance and reevaluation of what marriage means. And Obviously, as someone that recently got out of a marriage, I just see it so differently now where I'm like, wow, I just what I had thought it was and also the involvement of the government in it. So interesting how you're like, okay, we're going to make this commitment and then do paperwork for the government. And then thankfully, we didn't legally we had gotten our spiritual wedding, but we didn't actually we hadn't gotten to the paperwork yet before things started to shift and I'm so grateful because I'm like, in California, it takes a few years to actually have it happen. It's like two years. You have to be in the container of deciding for two years. 
There's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of like, there's just so many different elements that like complicate it and make things more traumatic, especially if I had a family with kids. That would be just insane. And you're someone obviously that, you know, you are married to Lolly and now Jenna's part of your throuple and your, you know, love in your life. What was that journey like for you in like your understanding of what love is to first be dating men and then married to a woman and now married to Lolly? Like, how has your concept of love sort of evolved and changed over time within your relationships? Yeah. So quickly, I can also share when I divorced from my first wife. I actually, because of the legality, and it wasn't yet federally legal same-sex marriage when we married, so we had to leave the state in which we were living to even be able to get that legal paperwork. And then we moved and we're living in my home state of Pennsylvania. We're living in Philadelphia. And that's when the relationship started to come to its ending. And when we then officially decided that divorce, ending our legal partnership, would be what it is that was, you know, kind of best for the relationship. One of the most difficult decisions in my life, again, being a people pleaser, worried even for the first time, beginning to insert that me and what I wanted into the relationship to even be able to ask for the divorce. And I would be lying if I said I didn't try to just push away mm-hmm. her for a very long time before I officially was like, no, consciously, this doesn't work for me anyway. Saying that to say, there was a period of time where we could not get divorced because I was unable to file for divorce in Pennsylvania at that time because it wasn't federally recognized. And she had had to then, when she moved to a different state, had to be a resident for a certain amount of time before she could even initiate the divorce filing. So not to say, again, this is the whole thing. Legal aspects are are, just makes it more traumatic, more traumatic. Right. So then there was a point of contact that had to continue. Obviously, there was different versions of hurt feelings that were involved. The fact that she had to be the one to initiate it when she wasn't necessarily the one to initiate or want the divorce itself. It was really traumatic, for lack of a better word. And it resulted in me and us being, you know, legally contracted together in a marriage for much longer than we were actually physically in that marriage. So Saying that to say then even the decision to enter into a marriage with Lolly, you know, being unsure of what my future would look like if I wanted that again, absolutely entering it into a monogamous, like it's going to be the two of us in this relationship and very much just tying all these concepts together in a trauma bond. When her and I met, we were going through the same cycles of our past in a lot of ways. We were attracted to each other for that same points of familiarity and thankfully, We both began to go through, you know, our awakening, our dark night of the soul, really come to this awareness separately as individuals and within the relationship. So we created a lot of shifts in our own dynamic. And what that meant were shifts for both of us to really, truly honor, not only in theory, like we stated that commitment to, you know, having both of us been in relationships that didn't work, me in a marriage that didn't work. We understood that I want you to be you. I want to be me and we want us to be walking together toward a future that makes sense for both of us. And if at any point, right, this is not the case, like, let's talk about it and reroute and see if a reroute is possible. So saying that to say that was our commitment and we finally, you know, separately as individuals and then together we're developing the tools to actually be able to do that. Because in theory, right, as a people pleaser, as a codependent, it's a great idea. But now when I'm separating, even giving you physical space to be someone who's different and pursue your interest outside, that used to be like my mom, the most threatening, challenging place. Because when you're not physically present, when you're not attentionally present, when you're not able to be emotionally present for whatever given meaning, my wounded inner child is activated, right? I'm brought back to 
that means that there's something wrong with me, something. And don't say, I'm again lying if I didn't say this didn't go through my head totally. these entire night. I had to talk myself off a lot of ledges and totally. space is okay and deep belly breathe and like teach myself that separation. Though getting to that place and having a secure, building a secure, safe and secure connection allowed us to then, when Jenna joined first as a business partner, being in such incredible alignment, she was someone who was within the community so much so that I knew her little hashtag. I would be very much engaged with her. She would comment on the post in the beginning of the Holistic Psychologist Instagram account. So I always kind of felt an alignment with her. And then when I came out here, actually, I don't know if it was maybe the first time we had met. No, we had met. Or or did you come in person? I think I I, or was it virtually because you were in Philly? We did virtually. Virtually you were in Philly. Maybe even before that. Very early on, I came out um, to do some podcast out in LA. We probably did it then too then. It was my first round of like LA podcast. And I was out here and I decided to do a free in-person meditation. And I just picked a place. I know it wasn't. I'm obsessed. I wasn't allowed to do this. I didn't have the license (laughs) on the beach, but I didn't know any better. So I literally rolled up Uh a big speaker system to (laughs) a place in Venice Beach that I found never really having visited on a map. I said, this looks good. And I just told people having no idea of who would show up Uh at like 9 a.m., say on Sunday morning, I'm going to do an inner child meditation. I was experimenting with those. I was starting to put those out. I thought this would be a great way to meet the community. Long story short, I show up and like thousand people showed up at this meditation. I have chills saying it. Showed up at this meditation. And I, for the first time, I'm in front of all of these eyes. Everything else was virtual. I'm scared shitless. There's that little child that's like, oh, no, don't look at me for yes, real. I don't totally. want to be vulnerable in front of you. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, long story short. Did this to be the people pleaser, but I didn't want you guys to show yeah, up. Right? <laughs> yeah. And there's so much of my journey that has been so much of a growth. Even hanging that virtual shingle and being me virtually was a challenge. Learning how to do something hard, like speak on camera that didn't immediately come easy. I used to quit things. If I wasn't good immediately, being that overachiever, because there was things I was good at immediately, I wouldn't do it. I couldn't tolerate the discomfort of being seen in a non-perfect way, of not living up to my own expectations. So There's many things that I continue to do that really challenge my own emotional growth. So that particular day, though, at the end of my meditation, all of the community very sweetly, you know, lined up to say hi afterward. And one of the last people in line was she walks up to me. Hi, I'm Jenna. And I immediately knew who she was. And she gave me a very nice gift. And we had an exchange. So I had the in-person meeting of her. Then flash forward in time, we open up the membership, the Self-Healer Circle. The day we opened it up, because so many people enrolled at the same time, our server crashed and caused a really big billing issue and a really big technic issue for us. So now, meanwhile, I had already quit. I'd stopped doing the individual work because I knew I wanted to do community alignment. I knew I wanted to send out messages to the universe that I was fully aligned. So I had no income. We were living solely on my individual work, Lolly and I. So now we invested all of this into this membership and there was this whole debacle and we were transparent online. Because obviously the members were having issues. We're like, hey, this is what's happening. Like, we hear you and we're going <laughs> to fix this really quickly. Hearing, validating your experience. Meanwhile, we're like <laughs> scrambling on the back end, her and I. And long story short, Jenna at that point then sent a message and was like, I see what you're doing. I've been like on this journey, on this path, shared with us what it was that she had been doing in terms of her own visioning for a community and the work that she had been doing to create that for herself. She said, I would love to help you out. So. She joined the team and then we began to build the business together. We then ended up in Venice Beach where she was also living at the time, began to spend more and more time together in person. 
And I don't think was an evident thing to Lolly and I at first that there was something deeper that was happening in terms of all three of us. And I wouldn't have personally even wouldn't have let it into my mind Mm -hmm. because I was so relationships are two people and, you know, what will Lolly think? And I was still wanting my relationship with Lolly and I didn't have the language or the models for any type of expanded relationship. And actually what ended up happening was there began to be lots of conflict. Little things would set us off and the wrong look or the wrong word in a text. And we started to have communication issues professionally. So being all consciously aligned, we started to kind of talk about it. Like, what is going on? Why are we all so kind of at each other's throats when this was such a harmonious, great collaboration for so long? Like, we need to do something different to make sure that we can continue to um, operate the business as we want. So long story short, she came over one Saturday morning. And one of the courses that we were doing in the circle that month was on courageous authenticity, connecting with your heart and speaking your heart's truth. And she comes over and was like, this course was really inspired by something that's been on my heart for a while. She sat me, she sat us both together down separately, privately, and had a conversation with each of us. And what she had then shared with me was what has been on my heart that I haven't been able to say that I you know, believe is at least my part of this conflict that has been here is that I'm really realizing that I have feelings, romantic feelings for both you and Lolly. And I have no idea how this is going to land. I have no idea what this would mean or if you're even going to be open to this or want to explore this. And I have no idea what this would mean for your relationship future, our relationship future, our business, though I know that it's so important to me. And Jenna is someone who's always been really led by her heart. It's one of the things that I really esteem about her and continue to learn from her, me being so disconnected from my heart for so long. I'm like, wow, she's just always been guided by it. So she shared that with me and I just received it in that moment. She actually didn't want me to share anything back. She's like, I want you knowing me enough to be like, I want you to take a moment. (laughs) Don't do anything with this right now. Like, just go like have this information. And of course, I imagine you and Lolly are going to have a conversation. I had the same conversation with Lolly myself and just know where I'm at. And ultimately, there's no pressure. This is what it is for me. And of course, she was like very aware that if it wasn't for us, we would have to continue to have a conversation in terms of new boundaries and what it could look like. Because she was like, my priority is this mission, doing what we're doing, being in this collaborative partnership that we've already established we can do to serve the collective. Like that is my number one here. So that will remain intact, whatever happens next. And So then Lolly and I, after she had thankfully had plans with a friend and went and took some time away from us, and we had a moment then to kind of both share like how it was to hear that, how it was to like know this piece of information. And in that moment, I think it kind of clicked in that that was also contributing to our part in the conflict as well, that both of us separately and together were starting to like want to explore. There were deeper feelings there beyond how we were just working professionally. So We kind of affirmed again that we want it, you know, we both wanted that separately and we wanted to see as a couple if we could expand and let a third partner in and having had no models for it, we literally started to Google like, is this pot? That's how we even learned the word supple, like in that weekend where we're like, what would this be? Yeah, you're like two plus one equals one. Yeah, well, because we weren't like, we're like, okay, we're not really opening the relationship to date other people. Like this is actually like going to try and be like the three of us. Can that happen? And lo and behold, there's a word for it. And there was like one other person on like social media somewhere doing it or joint partnerships. Oh my God, what's this look like? So we then just kind of gradually evolved into both wanting me wanting Lolly to pursue what obviously was on her heart and her wanting that for me, but also wanting to stay securely connected to each other. And 
flash forward it's been a little over two years now no way mm-hmm. how was what was the response because i know you went public with it so we went public because it was happening behind the scenes for a bit yeah. of several months before we decided to go public though at that time not only were jenna and i actively running the circle together we do a community check-in where it's literally her and i every month mm. talking about healing stuff our own journeys and we started to run that podcast our podcast is soundboard together so Part of the podcast is, again, transparently sharing what's going on. And it was starting to get to the point where both of us were feeling like we had to be inauthentic and censor. And, oh, can I share this story about this argument? Because it was with you and no one knows. And then there was the reality that um, we were becoming more publicly visible, uh, myself especially. So I'm sitting there like, I don't, I want to be able to be affectionate with you in public. If not, if Lolly's there and if Lolly's not there, and I don't want people to be like, What's Dr. Nicole doing? Yeah, and who's she with? Red and you know, I don't think that looks yeah. like the person I thought she was with. And I didn't want to create all of that, though more so it was I didn't want to live in out of my authentic truth. So we made the decision fully knowing that, not knowing what the reaction would be, but being aware that not everyone might be as welcoming. It was actually one of our most unfollowed days on the Instagram account, at least, though at the same time, there was so much overwhelming support, um, gratitude, even people living similarly or wanting to explore living similarly. And like, we didn't have a model being grateful that we had the model. So I felt it, I felt it important. I do mention this at the end of the book itself, this aspect of my journey, again, in transparency, not to try and advocate or petition, you know, everyone to get in expanded relationships at all. This is very much a relational book, whatever your relationship looks like. But for me, it is an important part of myself mm-hmm. and my journey mm-hmm. and my experience. Um, and so it will continue to be important that I talk about it, not only the good parts, also the challenges of navigating a relationship with two separate, very different in a lot of ways, individuals. For me, that would seem challenging to like attune to two people. Mm-hmm. And like, especially two women, mm-hmm. you know, because my maybe <laughs> like, whoa, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to be like? And I find, you know, I love women, but it's, I'm so in it when I'm with one that I would imagine it would be so overwhelming for two. What has it felt like? It's a lot. It's a lot of people, a lot of emotions, oftentimes differing emotions, differing displays of affection, of needs, of being. So there's a lot of moments of attunement, of misattunement. There, again, I would be lying. There's a lot of moments of comparison. Oh, totally. you're being like that with her. Well, what about with me? Oh, yeah, totally. You know, and kind of wanting to make sure mm-hmm. there's like an equalness. And even if things don't matter, just, well, you you know, you did that with her. I want it, you know, even if that's not really what I want or need in that moment. So there's just a lot in terms of thinking. Processing. To be aware of. Yeah. There's a lot in terms of emotions to really make sure that you're attuning to what it is that you really want in that moment. And then the beauty of it is they are two distinct individuals with two separate needs. And we have all different, the three of us relate together in one way. I have unique relationships with each of them. So I think we're each getting a bit better at having those boundaries of separation. And like, even like I was sharing earlier, I think the reality of it is we put an expectation. You're my romantic partner. This is what this needs to look like. And I don't take any needs elsewhere. And I think that that's not setting ourselves up to six for success. I think we can have very fulfilling friendships and other types of interest-based relationships that can be just as fulfilling. And some of us might even choose to live our life outside of romantic partnerships. So 
I've gotten and we're all, I think, getting a bit better at honoring, right, the uniqueness, the person who's better able to kind of vibe with me in this way or meet me in this moment and kind of getting better at going to those people respectively and also then managing how it feels when you're on the other side of, you know, an interaction that maybe is more synergistic in a moment and not just being like I was for a very like upset and still am sometimes because I'm not involved even in the reality of this is actually relieving. Mm -hmm. I don't I'm not able to be involved. And that's I think the beauty of it too. When someone's unavailable emotionally, it might be possible that the other person is available emotionally. Where do you see relationships going in the future? Like being someone that is now in a throuple, do you see in your community or just in the general trends that more people are going to be opening up, more people are going to be poly, more people are going to be exploring different types of dynamics? I think in general, as we become more conscious, I think we allow more of our unique self-expression and that naturally then bleeds into relationships. So whether or not it's defining like more open or poly type relationships or not, I just think people are going to get more expansive. Like I said, even maybe utilizing deep friendships in a different way or even having, you know, different types of interest-based partnerships that look and allow for different needs to be met in different areas. That's how I would define an expansive relationship. It doesn't mean that you're maybe romantically involved with different people, though I think for some that will be the byproduct. And again, I think a lot is contributing to that, not only awareness, I think in terms of practicality, of living circumstances, of resources. I mean, I think about people, we're not having children, but when children get involved, we come from a species, if you will, a universal culture of living in groups where it was common. There wasn't just one person responsible. And I think of single parents so often for Every an day. entire need of a, an individual being human, right? There was a, a group that came together of, of women or men or whoever it was in any given moment to care for and or model or support the development of a child. So I don't think necessarily we're going into a new direction. Mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways, humanity is going back to kind of our core, the way that kind of we were not only structurally, but emotionally and the way we've learned again how to not only just survive, but to thrive. And I think that then will include utilizing supports. I'm even seeing this with a lot of kind of homeschooling communities. Yeah, dude. I'm doing a pot. Um, you know My what I mean? My kids are potting I it mean, up. absolutely. Like living together again, whether it's because financially we need that pooled resources. Totally. I mean, the availability of having to work jobs, right? And having at least a rotating work schedule where there can be a physically uh, present adult at any given time to, again, emotionally and that the ability to have different models of different self-expressions of what it looks like to be a different human is so, so valuable. And again, it's nothing new. It's something that we've done. I think we've gotten away that. from it mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But so I think the future is the past, if you will. I love that. Yeah, that's so fascinating because in Sex of Dawn, it was so interesting just to remember that we are such a tribal culture we are such a tribal species and that oftentimes it was like you had the baby in the tribe and the baby would just be passed around to whoever was available whoever would take care of them they would grow up in these communities the kids would grow up with like understanding that multiple people they could trust multiple people they could go to multiple people they could be taken care of and we sort of have in the west become this like the nuclear family and the nuclear family then now becomes the single parent and It's just so challenging. So to look at the beauty of what different types of relationships can provide people and like the expansive nature of finding love in different areas and in different ways is so liberating and so exciting. And 
yeah, I'm excited for that element of our evolution. And with two women being in relationship, it's like, how do you all handle conflict? How can our audience understand how to better handle conflict? Because that was something within previous relationships that I've been in that was honestly like one of the biggest problems was our ability to handle conflict together. And that's like such an important aspect of a relationship. It's a natural one. I want to emphasize Huge. that beautiful point. Yeah. Again, I think some of us don't, we think conflict indicates the demise or the inevitable totally. demise. It's something to be avoided at all costs. And again, all that's informed by how was conflict navigated in childhood? Was yeah. everything swept under the rug? So there was no conflict? Just even going back to my mom, my example, right? There would be many explosions. My dad was very eruptive when something, you know, was an upset to him. My mom was very detached, so nothing was discussed. When the eruption was over, my mom decided to re-engage with us. It was never spoken about. So I was of the belief that anytime there would be conflict in my relationship, my mind would start talking about, oh, just this is it. This is the person oh, you have totally, to leave now, totally. right? This is a problem. Mayday, yep. red flag. So I'm emphasizing that point because a lot of us have been conditioned to avoid conflict at all cost and or give it the meaning that it is something problematic. Conflict is inevitable when we're trying to navigate life as two different humans with different perspective, different emotions, different needs. We're going to be at odds over different things. So what's foundationally important is becoming consciously aware of how you navigate conflict. How much of it is based in your past? Are you able to remain calm and grounded in those moments and actually not only share your perspective and your emotions and your wants and needs for whatever is happening or you need not happen? And at the same time, are you able to shift like we were talking earlier, meaning are you in a calm, grounded moment? Sometimes it's not in the heat of the moment. It's stepping away from those explosive moments or coming back if you're so detached and dissociated that you can't engage so that you can actually then explore and allow in that space for that other individual. So owning yourself in conflict a lot of times, again, means owning the way your body is reacting to conflict. Because again, some of us, especially when we're in conflict and explosive, we need to figure it out now. I need to tell you what I feel right now. I need you to hear me right now. And if they're not in a calm, grounded state of presence, that's only going to perpetuate the conflict because they're not going to be able. They're going to pick up their phone and start scrolling. They're going to write emotionally detach or flee. They're going to just shut down completely. Or maybe they're going to become so threatened by whatever is being shared that they're going to become just as reactive. And now we literally have that bomb or that explosion. So understanding kind of ourself in conflict, understanding, and I talk a lot about these tools and how to be love you seek, because conflict in and of itself feels threatening. And our nervous system is activated. So I go through a lot of different tools, self-assessments, how to know when I'm in conflict. How is my body habitually trying to deal with the conflict? Again, am I fleeing it by distracting myself or trying to avoid the conversation entirely? Oh, if I just don't look at it, it's not there, right? Am I becoming that kind of glazed over like I used to get? I'm participating in the conflict, but I'm a million miles away because totally. I'm detached. It's like, do, 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 do. Right? Or, like am I or am I erupting? And like, I yeah. just, right? Because now we understand that that's not the moment that I'm going to be able to calmly navigate this conflict, hear what you're saying, calmly express what I think or feel, and coming to that joint resolution. Just as equally important is how is my partner? So I give a lot of tools to be able to understand what kind of nervous system state our partner is in making sure that, again, we both have the tools through self-regulation, through co-regulation, maybe using our partner if the conflict isn't within that relationship. I'm having trouble at work and I'm coming home activated from work, right? Can I use my calm, grounded partner who maybe is in that state of presence to co-regulate with 
so that then I can get a new perspective maybe on my work conflict or if we're both dysregulated and the part, the conflict is within the relationship, can we take the time and space away? Can we shelve the conflict? Again, not sweep it under the rug with the conscious intention to when we're both, not when it's good for me, not because I practice and rehearsed what I'm going to mm. say to you and you come home and you're in a bad mood or you're dysregulated, but I need to have this conversation now. Can we wait to the moment where we can both be an active participant in navigating that disagreement or that differing perspective or those differing needs in that moment. Mm. Yeah. I feel like I used to be someone that would, like this was a long time ago, it's like I would go the, because I saw my mom do this, be the most dramatic so that I could almost like be the biggest victim and manipulate my way to being like the bigger victim to getting my way. And I would just like, oh, I cringe. I'm like, oh, I just makes me sad to think about the relationships that I was in that I would do that. And I I know in Conscious Loving, you know, Gay Hendricks, he says that oftentimes fights are fight to the victim position. You know, you're kind of like trying to claim your place as the bigger victim. I'm really relating there was just a general habit I had to victimize myself, to give all of the external, like I was sharing earlier, blame cause of any feeling I had, because that's what I learned in childhood, like I was sharing earlier, Right to this other person, you doing or not doing, saying or not saying, feeling or not feeling, supporting or not supporting, whatever it is you're doing, right? I would perpetually, whatever's happening or not happening within the relationship at the time, if I was feeling whatever kind of way, upset, unseen, uncared for, not considered, my language in my mind, I would just give the cause to you. You've caused this in me. And it took me a very long time of shifting that that framework and that mindset to say, yes, I'm feeling, though I'm bringing those feelings. I'm bringing that meaning. I'm seeing, to use this example again, your lack of the dinner on the table or the dishes done, right? And I'm assigning that old meaning that because you're not considering or loving me in the way that I learned, I've actually caused the dishes done or not done or dinner on the table or not didn't cause my upset in that moment, didn't cause my disappointment or my anger, or my resentment, whatever version of it it was, I caused it. What caused it was all of this meaning and all of the emotions that had accumulated over time when my needs had gone unmet in a very real way. I don't want to minimize like the emotions we're having are real. It's not to, to kind of shame ourselves and kind of you know, attribute the cause elsewhere. They're real, but it's not the cause often that we think it is. There's a lot happening inside of us, but I used to very much go immediately to, you've caused this mm -hmm. and your action or inaction or whatever mm -hmm. I need to happen, you need to be the one to then remove this. Well, when feeling. you're so codependent, they're causing everything for you. <laughs> yeah. You know, so for me, it's like you're causing my happiness, my sadness, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like my life is, is in response to you yes. and so externally focused. So it makes sense that when there was disruption, it would be like you're causing this because Obviously, it was me choosing and being the active participant, but it was in my brain. Everything was caused by them. Whatever my emotional state was, was caused by them. So, of course, I would be like, you're causing this problem for me or this sadness for me or this issue for me, which can be really, really challenging. Kind of a shift, but since you're here, I want to ask you something. This is more like dating kind of advice. You know, this is like super selfish, but... 
since I'm going to be dating soon. The question that I have, and I think our audience will have and relate to this, is kind of the question around this ideal perfect partner that I think a lot of us have, where I think in our world and space, it's like, make your list, your manifestation list of what you want your perfect partner to be. So what about that is actually helpful to make a list of what you're looking for in a relationship? And what is like, not helpful about that process. Want to unpack a bit because again, I think a lot of what we're thinking is perfect or thinking we want is again informed by what happened or didn't happen. Again, I'm really generalizing and globalizing it in our childhood. And I think the tendency to think that there is a perfect human that will check whatever boxes it is that we put on this list, especially when they are not, again, value driven, the conversation we had earlier, right? That deeper stuff, my non-negotiables, my boundaries, my actual need for safety and security, and or your ability to have a communication in those moments. I do think it is a remnant of a very real developmental stage in childhood where we did project an image of perfection when we only knew these, you know, whatever the constellation, one or two individuals that were in care of us, or maybe a couple individuals, if we had several caretakers. Um, in childhood, again, we do assume a, a perfection. We hold them on a, a pedestal. We idealize them. Um, one of those conditioned selves that I talk about in the book is then the conti continued tendency to be what I call a hero worshiper, to have this idea that there is someone or something that is this perfect model, usually hypothetically, if we want to follow that train of thought, that what? That will help me feel. That will take away, right? Totally. That will do, again, everything that in childhood we were desperately dependent on people to do and care for us. So not to minimize, a lot of us, again, have that tendency to categorize and seek. So becoming aware, as we've beautifully been talking about this whole time, of even if you do have a perfection list, right, assessing that list and what is on it, right? How much of it is coming from either my, the, the, the habit, the habitual patterns or dynamics of my childhood, how I define myself, how I define my roles, how I need to feel loved and connected to, right? And how much of it is coming from, again, that deeper being-based place, the core values, right? Everything that we were just talking about a bit ago. And so it's not to say that we can't have things that we're looking for and that's to be avoided at all costs. Absolutely not. But it's a question of what is our goal in seeking this perfection, right? What do we imagine that will do? Because again, if we have this idea that it'll be conflict-free, the relationship, right? I'll be loved. I'll be fulfilled <laughs> in this way that I haven't been. Then I think we're putting a bit too much on a particular version. And then we might go down that path that you were talking about earlier, where we're either outwardly controlling, you must be, do, say, whatever, or some of us do it much more covertly and underhandedly where we kind of urge or, or set up a scenario where we, maybe we're not using boundaries, we're using ultimatums and kind of things like that to actually coerce a certain kind of way of being. So finding, I think, our way through is our individual journey. You can absolutely put things down in a paper, call them to mind of characteristics you're mm -hmm. looking for. Again, shared values, shared goals, I think are really important to be on that list. But if we don't leave any room for flexibility or individual difference, we might be turning ourselves away um, from a possibly really healthy and fulfilling partnership mm -hmm. solely based on the fact that this isn't familiar. I'm looking for this familiar person. That's what then becomes the points on my list. And even having this idea too, if we don't have any flexibility, of course, come up with non-negotiables, but also build in flexibility because you could surprise yourself with someone 
that you might not have imagined. Like Jenna. You know, being or totally. a relationship, right? Yeah. Like you might not have imagined being on your in your future. That if you're open to that possibility and of course remain driven, everything we've been talking about, connected to your heart, driven by that deeper intuition. I think that's something that is worth speaking here too. Mm -hmm. You can have a list and then you can have your human experience in that moment, right? Dropping into how do I feel around this person, right? Mm -hmm. Do I feel safe, secure? Can I actually express myself? Even when we're at odds, can we come back to that calm, grounded presence where someone who's interested in hearing what my perspective is or how things were for me? Do we share those common ideas of the future? Mm -hmm. I love that. Having the list and then having room for your shared human experience. And kind of want to end on just the exploration of the heart, because I loved in the book how you have a lot of research and just really insightful, newish information around the heart. And I feel like for so many of us, the heart is so nebulous. It's so hard to understand. It's like, yeah, the heart, sure, the heart. But what does that mean? It's like a physical <laughs> thing, but it's not. You know what I mean? So what was some of the interesting information that came out for you around the heart? I mean, the heart, I think the most important place to start is it's very much a physical thing, especially in my field. We used to praise and give all of the power. I even talked about the incredibly powerful mind and this prefrontal cortex and the ability to imagine a future and right, see from a different perspective. Though now we have a ton of science that is kind of integrating the heart into our human experience, so much so that if measured, our brain absolutely in our nervous system gives electromagnetic energy out outside of our awareness, right? There's energy shifts and things that can be felt in terms of what nervous system state I'm in, what my brain, the brain wave pattern, what my brain is doing. And now we've begun to measure the heart. And it turns out that the heart actually reaches a greater distance, the electromagnetic field of our heart reaches a greater distance than even our brain and more so when our heart is in what is called a state of coherence, when it's when we're connected to our heart and we're able to feel compassionate, caring, loving, all of what is known in the literature as positive feelings, gratitude being one of those as well. When our heart, it actually shifts and beats in a particular rhythm when we're feeling those emotions and it can actually impact then the way that our brain, it's called heart-brain coherence. So those messages that our brain is getting and giving to the rest of our body can be greatly impacted by the state of our heart. So understanding that for me, I was very much one of those people that like I was sharing, Jenna's like, oh, I'm led by my heart. I'm like, my heart, that's yeah, totally. right, something in my body. Boring. You know, I can feel it when it's beating out of my <laughs> yeah, chest absolutely. and I'm having a panic attack. You know, otherwise I'm like, yeah, my heart. But will like, that make me perfect? <laughs> my heart's just like there, right? Yes. You know what I mean? And came to realize that paying attention, tuning into our heart, um, being able to be calm and grounded enough to even shift that focus. Again, that nervous system state really is playing a role in this will allow us not only to begin to generate those feelings that are so greatly impactful, what they can do is actually give feelings of peace and calm to those around us. There's been incredible studies of people getting together to join together in heart coherence, which looks like tuning into our heart, right, turning our attention to it, maybe visualizing a white or a yellow light around it, beginning to generate. We actually can generate those feelings of care, of compassion, of love, anyone listening, thinking about something that naturally you love or can be an animal, a pet, something like that, that can make you feel those things can actually then, like I said, shift the feelings, the nervous system state can create, again, tying this all together, that calm, grounded presence, that true feeling of love where others can then maybe relax more into our presence and can 
be who they are. So I'm a big science person. It was really powerful, not only when I learned the science, more powerful when I began to practice the science. Because again, like many, they were great concepts. I could not connect with my heart. I didn't feel safe enough. My attention was away in my spaceship, was on other people and what they need of me. It took me many consistent moments of building in practices each and every day to care for my body by amending my sleep habits, by making sure nutritionally I'm getting my cells and the nutrients that it needs by learning how to shift my breathing away from that very shallow-based way that, I, that a lot of us breathe when we're in one of those nervous system states of shutdown. For me, that meant stretching out a lot of muscles that became very tense over time that made it very difficult for me to even breathe calmly and deeply from my belly. So I'm just giving some examples to illustrate how difficult and how consistent this journey is. It's a daily practice, though in my opinion, it's, it's a life-changing one because now I do have the opportunity, someone who ran away from stillness, quiet, right? That meant to me danger in childhood, who's learned to be more calm and grounded in my presence through those daily practices allowed me to actually tune into my heart as a actual thing, entity, and to be able to be in more moments. Of course, they're not all the time. We don't just flip that light switch and learn about heart-brain coherence and, you know, think about something we're compassionate for or loving of in one moment and then remain in it throughout the rest of the day. It's a daily commitment mm -hmm. and practice. So I tie all of it together in the book because in my belief, being the love we seek, even the title of the book, is really about the importance of our body and our nervous system in our relationships. Again, first and foremost with ourself to attune to our heart. We have to have that grounded presence. It has to feel safe in our own bodies. Few of us feel safe in our own bodies. Few of us feel safe in our environments. Even less of us feel safe in our relationships. When we do, however, when I bring some lofty visions for the future at the end of the book, I do believe not only this is how we change our relationships around us, I believe this is what we're seeing globally. I think more of us are becoming more connected to our heart, are living in at least more moments of that heart-brain coherence and are quite literally impacting the entire collective because those that information does travel. Our own grounded presence and our own ability to love in our nooks and crannies of the world really does begin to join together and impact the, the greater good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when we think about how powerful our mind is, it's like the heart is even more powerful. The Heart Math Institute, which does yes. a lot of that research, they found that horses have a 12-foot radius around the heart. Yeah, horses that were like have crazy psychic abilities in their heart fields are so large. But I think about that a lot with animals whenever I'm around them because we always have the desire to like hold them, pet yeah. them, touch them. But just being truly in their field, I think this is the same with humans, they can feel you because mm -hmm. their fields are so much bigger for ability to like feel and tune into the heart. And Lindsay and I, before we'll have conversations with ourselves or our team or anything that needs to be like feels a little sticky, we'll always be like, may our mind and our heart match for this conversation. May we bring in the heart, maybe like tune into the heart. And you can feel it when you're having a conversation with someone you love. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, you can feel yes. our hearts yes. are in sync. Our hearts yes. are open. We feel this like beautiful connection. So I was so excited that you brought that in because I feel like people can bring in the heart as an idea around like I don't know it's just like an idea like a like a pop song of the heart but it's like it's it's the most powerful thing that we have and when the more we're able to tune into the heart the more we're able to change the world and change our lives so so excited for you to be able to get the book how to be the love you seek such a good one covers beautiful to be expected I already read it this weekend and it was just incredible so thank you for the work that you do 
thank you for always coming on Almost 30. We're so grateful to see you and your journey. I mean, just thinking about you literally in your office in Philadelphia, <laughs> I think you had like 150,000 followers at that time. Just ta- I don't even know what we talked about, but like in seeing you now and the way that you're having an impact on the world is just so incredible. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you, Krista, and, mm-hmm. and the whole community and mm-hmm. you for seeing something in me that long ago, which it was like, me so long ago. I get 10 percent, baby. And wanting to have a, a conversation. I mean, in, in all seriousness, it, mm-hmm. it's I'm so grateful um, mm-hmm. for having had that opportunity for continuing that opportunity not only to connect with oh, you yeah. as a human, but with the community. Again, I, I always like to end with gratitude for anyone mm-hmm. um, involved in communities. Um, you and I were talking a bit behind the scenes of you know, sharing my belief in how I think community healing and communities in general, again, are part of our, our new future societal impact. And I want everyone listening to know that, you know, you're not just a unknown or, a, you know, you're unimpacted. You are actually creating impact by your interest and your curiosity and, and by joining together in this new way. And I'm so happy that you were impacted by the book. I'm so hopeful. I'm so excited for it to yeah. be officially released in the world. I did put a lot into it. It's and good. It's I'm good. I'm interested to see how it lands for everyone. It's good. It's so your voice is just amazing. So, okay, guys, we will see you on the next one. We love you. Goodbye. Thank you so much, Dr. Nicole LaPera, the holistic psychologist for coming on Almost 30. Thank you for coming in person. We love sitting down with you so, so, so much. Your work has changed our lives and so many others. I love how dedicated you are to serving the collective and our ascension. And I'm really grateful that you came on today to talk about your new book, How to Be the Love You Seek. Thank you all for listening. If you want to learn more about Almost 30, head to almost30.com. It's a whole world over there. We have our membership, which you can learn more about. It's an incredible place to just really support your personal development and your evolution. It's a wonderful, fun community. Almost 30 dot com slash membership. And then we have courses and programs that Krista and I are really, really proud of. And so many of you have moved through like the sacredness of being single and the life edit, just programs that are super unique and were channeled through us at very potent times in our lives. And you can do those at your own pace at any time. So you can find those on almost30.com. All right, guys, thank you for sending to a friend, for subscribing, rating, and reviewing, and for being a part of our lives. We'll see you on the next one. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye.